Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Animaction. Welcome to the third video in my animated 90s series. This video is going to be the calm before the storm, as we see a slight decrease in quantity this year before things really start picking up. Quick reminder to like and subscribe if you love all things animated, because that's a great way to help the channel continue to grow. And now, let's get on with it. Looking back at 1991, there were a couple of observations that jumped out about the year. Firstly, that 80s trend of bringing back classics every year continued with a significant number of those being released. It was also a fairly substantial year for adaptations from other media, probably the biggest for that in the series so far. We saw several shows based on real-life people, or at least built around them, like The Wish Kid. Things started to get weird with the release of Liquid Television, but opened the door for new types of animation and stories at the same time. And lastly, we got a major move from a cable network with the release of the first officially branded Nicktoons. A couple of those things were definitely noteworthy, and some of the trends hit pretty strongly this year. Let's see how that holds up for 92. First though, what carried forward from previous years into this one? Well, the 80s had almost run their course with only a handful of series continuing. Good Morning Mickey was hanging around from 1983, and Danger Mouse from 84. The Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera was still a thing from 85, and so was TMNT from 87, though 86 had fallen out completely at this point. Finally, Garfield and Friends and Count Ducula were still here from 88, with Camp Candy and G.I. Joe from 89. From this new decade, we had a handful of 1990 series that were still on the air, with The Power Team, Tom and Jerry Kids, Merry Melodies starring Bugs Bunny and Friends, Tiny Toon Adventures, Captain Planet and the Planeteers, and Bobby's World. And finally, there was a very decent selection of 1991 shows that made it to the new year. These include A Bunch of Munch, Back to the Future, Darkwing Duck, James Bond Jr., Adventures of Tintin, Mother Goose and Grimm, Space Cats, Young Robin Hood, Mr. Bogus, the Pirates of Darkwater, which I incorrectly said last year had 13 episodes when it actually had 21, The Legend of Prince Valiant, Liquid Television, Tasmania, The Ren and Stimpy Show, Doug, Little Dracula, and Rugrats. At 63%, this was an even better survival rate than we saw in 91. So what do we lose? Well, from the 80s holdouts, we lost Muppet Babies, Adventures of the Gummy Bears, The Real Ghostbusters, A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, Beetlejuice, and Captain and the Game Master, which had been running as part of Super Mario World at this point. From 1990, the adventures of Don Coyote and Sancho Panda, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Peter Pan and the Pirates, Swamp Thing, Tailspin, Wake, Rattle, and Roll, and Widget the World Watcher had all dropped off. And the 37% attrition we saw from 1991, that included Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars, Hammer Man, Little Shop, Heroes on Hot Wheels, Pro Stars, Super Mario World, Toxic Crusaders, Where's Waldo, Wish Kid, and Yo Yogi. There were a couple of those I'd have liked to see and stay around, but maybe we got some decent replacements. Like I said in the intro, this video is going to be the calm before the storm for me, as I really only have 25 new series and two new programming blocks to cover. That should make things here fairly manageable. Coming up though, wow. Things keep getting bigger and bolder, heading up to around the 50 series mark by the end of the decade. I hope you guys can stand to listen to me for that long. For now though, let's keep our focus on the year in front of us. It's time to take a look at all of the US premieres from 1992. As always seems to be the case, several classic characters and stories got animated adaptations this year. Starting off this list is Saban's Gulliver's Travels, based on the 1726 novel of the same name by Jonathan Swift. Or at least, best known by the same name, as it was originally called Travels into Several Remote Nations of the World in Four Parts by Lemuel Gulliver, first a surgeon and then a captain of several ships. 
Although most of us think about Gulliver's travels as being about the guy who ends up on an island full of miniature people, that's actually only the first of four adventures from the novel. The cartoon takes that basic premise of the novel and tells the first story with the Lilliputians, which are the mini-people, and then expands it into a worldwide globetrotting adventure series over its 26 episodes. Next up this year came a series we got from the UK in Shakespeare the Animated Tales. Each of the series' 12 episodes adapted a different one of Shakespeare's works into a 26-minute animated version. The series tried to keep a focus on being educational in this abbreviated format, though, and added narration to fill in a lot of the gaps created by shortening the stories. In the U.S., the series aired on HBO, and each episode was actually introduced by a live-action segment hosted by Robin Williams. Speaking of series that came to us from across the pond, we also got The World of Peter Rabbit and Friends from the UK, which was a series that adapted Beatrix Potter's 1902 character Peter Rabbit, obviously. The series only lasted for nine episodes, and over here it was aired on the Family Channel. Kind of like Shakespeare, this one also opened each episode with a live-action segment, but the host here was an actor playing the role of Beatrix Potter. Continuing on, and moving back to series that originated in the U.S., we have The Addams Family, which was based on the comic strip and later live-action series of the same titles from 1938 and 1964, respectively. This series was pretty slice-of-life, following the family through their daily routines, which were generally morbid and wacky, and staying very true to the traditional representations of the characters. Hanna-Barbera produced 21 episodes of this for ABC Saturday Mornings. The next classic character that popped up this year was Robert E. Howard's Sumerian Barbarian, Conan. Having first appeared in magazine stories in 1932, this year he got a kid-friendly version in Conan the Adventurer. The series made some significant changes to keep the stories age-appropriate, with Conan's family having been turned to stone rather than murdered by marauders, and Conan never having been a slave. Instead, his village was attacked and destroyed by an evil serpent-man sorcerer and his snake-people henchmen, who'd come in search of the magical metal that Conan's father had. Conan used his sword, which is made of that magical metal, to drive off the attackers, but not until after the sorcerer had cursed the village. Conan ends up collecting a band of companions and spends the series looking to undo the curse and get rid of the Serpent Men once and for all. The cartoon unfortunately took most of the Barbarian out of the character, but it was still pretty great amongst the other sword and sorcery cartoons of the time. The next series we got was actually one of my personal favorites from the year, if not the entire decade. King Arthur and the Knights of Justice is very loosely based on traditional Arthurian legend from around the 5th or 6th centuries or if you're going by original documented date, around the 12th century, I guess. I say loosely because in this version, Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table have actually already been defeated and encased in crystal by Arthur's sister Morgana. In order to defend Camelot and save the Knights, Merlin teleports a modern-day football team, coincidentally called the New York Knights, with their conveniently named quarterback, Arthur King, to the mystical city and equips them with a variety of powerful armor and weapons. The newly formed Knights of Justice then have to battle against Lord Viper and the rest of Morgana's evil knights, supported by several standard Arthurian characters like Guinevere, and an interesting mix of technology. There were a few other series this year from properties that hadn't necessarily been around long enough to become true classics, but which had definitely earned places in the pop culture lexicon by this time. First up was a newer version of a popular group of 80s characters with My Little Pony Tales, it's very much a slice-of-life series, and unlike the 80s version, focused purely on pony characters without a human in sight. It followed the main group of seven ponies as they went to school, dated boy ponies, and all of the in-between stuff that young teenagers do. Also from the 80s, kind of, was Fievel's American Tales. 
This series was based on the character from the original An American Tale movie released by Don Bluth in 1986, but uses the Wild West setting from the sequel to that movie, 1991's An American Tale, Fievel Goes West. The show took on a lesson of the day format, but had mostly all of these lessons boiled down to reading is good. It only had a few returning voice actors from the film, too, and even retired some of the characters from that due to the actors being unavailable. Also, Bluth was no longer involved in the film or series after that first movie, with production shifting entirely to the animation offshoot of Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. Amblination. Who does that? Shoehorning another word into animation. They should be ashamed of themselves. <coughs> Lastly in this category was a series kind of based on a classic character from the 40s, but more directly on a character based on that classic character from a series that had come out in 1990. The Plucky Duck Show starred everyone's favorite Daffy Duck analog from Tiny Toon Adventures in his own spin-off. It was essentially an anthology that collected Plucky segments from that show, rather than entirely new, but it did add in one new segment called The Return of Bat Duck. The series only lasted 13 episodes, though, and in a case of Turnabout is Fair Play, the Bat Duck segment was later added into episodes of Tiny Toons. In a strange case of coincidence, well, probably coincidence, we got two series this year based in the world of stunt performers, or at least other fictional characters based on stunt performers, like our first series here, Super Dave, Daredevil for Hire. This series was an animated version of comedian Bob Einstein's satirical take on Evil Knievel, Super Dave Osborne. The character had originally appeared in sketches as far back as 1972, but had found its most success with the Super Dave series that aired from 1987 to 1992 on Showtime. The cartoon versions starred both Einstein and Art Irizawa from the live-action series voicing their characters, as well as appearing in live-action segments at the close of each episode. The Showtime version was absolutely hilarious, but the animated series was a little less so, and it ended after just 13 episodes, not counting a single later Super Bowl-based special. The other stunt-focused series from the year was also a comedic series called Stunt Dogs. This one follows a team of five stunt people and their dog as they fight crime and face off against their villainous counterparts, the Stunt Scabs. What a great name. Wikipedia calls it a spin-off of the Burt Reynolds movie Hooper, but other than the whole stunt performer aspect, it really doesn't seem to have anything in common with that. Instead, it seemed like just one of many shows from the era that took five people from one area of specialization, gave them vehicles and costumes, and had them fight bad guys using similar gimmicks. We'll be seeing more of these over the next several years. As a means of avoiding a catch-all category in this video, I've grouped together two series from the year that kind of share the theme of sleep. Kind of. The first is Shelley Duvall's Bedtime Stories, a 13-episode series on Showtime of animated adaptations of various children's books. Most episodes of the show contained a couple of different stories, with each introduced by Duvall in live-action segments. It was also absolutely star-studded for voices, with a huge list of guest stars throughout its runtime narrating the stories. That meant some stories told in the child-friendly voices of Rick Moranis and Martin Short, or some from musicians like Ringo Starr and Bonnie Raitt, or best of all, some in the consistently sarcastic tones of Christian Slater or shiver-inducing bass of Darth Vader himself, James Earl Jones. What a genuinely strange lineup. The second show I'm stuffing into this category was a joint production between the U.S. and South Korea called Twinkle the Dream Being. This series is about... ready for this? Okay, let's see how it goes. It's about a genie who lives in the land of possibility and grants wishes to its people while protected by his space mercenary bodyguards, Nova and Wishball, all the while being pursued by the evil Miss Diva Weed who wants to use her henchmen, the Hotshots, to get rid of Twinkle and enslave all of the people of the land. Got that? Simple, right? 
I honestly can't say that I'd ever heard of this one, which seems like a shame with the laundry list of content wrapped up in it. So I alluded to this trend in the first couple of videos from the decade, but this year saw the dam that the Turtles had put a crack in in 97 finally give way. Sorry if that invoked the painful NES game level. What I mean though is that we got a hefty surge of anthropomorphic animals in this year's lineup, and not just dogs, as my title plate would lead you to believe. We did get some dogs in the form of Dog City though, coming from Muppet creator Jim Henson, Originally released as a live-action TV movie during the Jim Henson Hour in 1989, the concept was adopted into a 31-episode animated series for Fox Kids that mixed traditional cartoons with Henson's famed puppetry. And for the movie, I mean that it was live-action in the same way that The Muppet Show was live-action. The stories in the cartoon focus on the investigations of a German Shepherd private investigator named Ace Hart in a fictional city that's actually being drawn by a different German Shepherd who's an animator named Elliot Shag. Oddly, Ace and Elliot could break the fourth wall to communicate with each other, and Elliot could add pieces into the animation that Ace could use to help progress the story or get out of trouble. It was definitely an interesting concept for a cartoon. The next animals to get humanized this year were definitely not dogs, but rather dinosaurs. The Adventures of T-Rex was an American-Japanese co-production that ran for 52 total episodes. The story focuses on a group of five dinosaur brothers who masquerade as a singing comedy group by day and fight crime with their various superpowers at night. As I mentioned with stunt dogs, there's a formula for this era involving five-person teams that follow a specific motif to fight evil. The evil in question for this series is called The Organization, headed by Kingpin Big Boss Graves. It was kind of an interesting show with some cool armor for the brothers and a creative mix of various superpowers. Keeping this parade of wildlife going, we also got a series this year called Wild West Cowboys of Moo Mesa. In this one, a comet struck somewhere in the western plains near the turn of the 20th century, resulting in the ground shooting up to become a mesa that towered miles above the plains. Everyone in the vicinity got trapped on top of the mesa and underwent mutation into a humanoid cow state, whereas the series itself describes things, were hit by a cowmet that caused everyone to become bovipomorphic. And of course, as is bound to happen, everyone affected by the process shared a love of the Wild West and decided to mold their new society around that particular era of human history, complete with sheriffs and outlaws. The series focused on Marshal Moo Montana and his posse, protecting their new frontier from the corrupt mayor of Cowtown and his henchmen. The show fits squarely in the TMNT mold, but unlike that series only lasted 26 episodes. Moving right along, we got the series Eek the Cat which, unlike the other series we've talked about so far, was actually set in the human world and followed an anthropomorphic cat, the title character Eek, who could communicate with both other cats and several of the show's human characters. The general hook of this one is that Eek is an eternally optimistic do-gooder that always tries to help, but usually ends up in some dangerous and painful situation. This is usually played for laughs, but each episode ends with something good happening as a result of Eek's efforts and willingness to help. In that regard, it's a pretty great morality tale that continually teaches the lesson that good things happen to good people. Or cats, I guess. The last two series I want to talk about here are actually made more for adults by Hanna-Barbera, and were intended as direct competition to The Simpsons. The first was a show called Capital Critters, which is a kind of political satire about the hidden society of rats and insects living in the White House and their struggles against the cats that are out to get them. Cats, I should mention, that are representations of the then-president and vice-president, George H.W. Bush and Dan Quayle. The show was too cartoony for adults, though, and too adult for kids, and fizzled out after 13 episodes, even with Neil Patrick Harris voicing the main character. The other series that was geared toward adults and intended to dethrone The Simpsons did even worse, only managing to get three of its six episodes on the air, although those other three did get shown in Europe. 
This series is called Fish Police, and, predictably, is about a police detective who's a fish solving fish crimes under fish water. Fish. The heroic Detective Gill, get it? Faces off against the evil Biscotti Calamari, uh, get it? And his sleazy lawyer, Sharkster, uh, get it? Who's played by Tim Curry. It also had some great voice actors besides the one I've already named, including Ed Asner, Jonathan Winters, Phil Hartman, and John Ritter as the main character, Detective Gill, but with the stupid pun names and penchant to use that same fish humor as the basis for entire episodes, it's not surprising that it went away as fast as it appeared. So Disney was already on a roll on networks with their Disney Afternoon, but following the massive success of The Little Mermaid in 1989, saw the signs of their own coming second golden age and took the chance to begin capitalizing on it this year. Some of their first steps were to release a pair of shows on the Disney Channel that would make sure their back catalog remained available to new audiences. This effort took the forms of Mickey's Mouse Tracks and Donald's Quack Attack, premiering back-to-back as replacements for Good Morning Mickey and Donald Duck Presents. I say replacements, but they were just new packages for more old Mickey and Donald content, even going so far as to not run any credits other than attributing the contents to Disney animators over the past 60 years. To spice up the formula, though, each show also included clips from various Disney animated films as well. The third member of the company's holy trinity, Goofy, did much better this year with the release of a network syndicated series telling all new stories in an all new format. Goof Troop was based on Goofy and his son, Max, and their neighbors, the Pete family, consisting of longtime Disney villain Pete, his wife, and kids PJ and Pistol. The series originally ran as a replacement for Tailspin in the Disney Afternoon and proved incredibly popular, resulting in a pair of movies, one theatrical and one direct-to-video, that are both pretty highly regarded. There was another syndicated release from the House of Mouse this year that was, well, less loved than Goof Troop. While that show lasted until the year 2000, Raw Toonage only got 12 episodes. This show was more of an anthology series made up of short segments that featured characters like Bonkers and Marsupilami, who we'll see more of later in the decade, with each episode hosted by a more popular character from the Disney Afternoon, like Don Carnage or Launchpad McQuack. But lastly, and in my opinion most importantly for Disney this year, we circle back to the previously mentioned Little Mermaid, which got a spin-off animated series. The show was put together as a prequel to that movie, though it's also a sequel to the later prequel movie, Ariel's Beginning, from 2008, which itself is actually the third movie in the franchise after the actual sequel in the second movie, Return to the Sea. Complicating the timeline even more, the series and the prequel film aren't even in continuity with each other, so that's fun. Anyway, the show was pretty much Teen Mermaid Girl's Slice of Life and followed the adventures of Ariel and her friends. Several of the film's voice actors reprise their roles in the series, though, making it feel very much like a continuation of the movie universe. The reason I said I felt that this was the most important release of the year for Disney, though, is that it served as an extremely lucrative proof of concept for how the company could continue drinking from the well of their most popular movies of the period, as we'll continue to see throughout this series of videos. This year also brought a couple of notable programming blocks as well. Or maybe anthology series? Potpourri shows? Animated specials? A little of each? Maybe that's the most accurate description. I guess that means I ended up with a catch-all category I tried to avoid earlier anyway. Whatever, we'll just push forward. Let's first talk about the anthology, which came in the form of Cartoon Network's Toonheads. This, uh, series, I guess, was made up pretty much of whatever Cartoon Network wanted to stuff into it. It contained segments from Hanna-Barbera, MGM, Warner Brothers, with some Popeye thrown in for good measure. It contained an assortment of animated shorts, extended-length specials, trivia, 
animation history, thematic batches of different material, or whatever, with episodes running anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour, depending on the content of the day. I guess as a catch-all series, though, that this is as good a category as any to have it show up in. The next topic to cover in this section is an actual programming block, though, called Amazing Adventures. This one was actually made up of series that I've already covered in this video, or others in the series, specifically this year's Saban's Gulliver's Travels, King Arthur and the Knights of Justice, and rebroadcasts of The Wizard of Oz from 1990. I just wanted to mention it, as the block would eventually become the Bobot Kids Network in 1997, and was usually a pretty good place to catch some pretty great shows. And then the last one that I included here was neither a block nor a series, but instead was an ongoing run of animated specials based on the comic strip For Better or For Worse by Lynn Johnston. The first two of these 30-minute specials, which were originally developed and released in Canada, came out on HBO this year and included The Last Camping Trip in July and A Christmas Angel in December. These are comedic slice-of-life stories in the same vein as the comic strips, so if you've read any of those, you know what you're in for here. Oh, and just so that I can mention it somewhere, Liquid Television also premiered The Specialists as a new segment this year. But as I talked about that last video, you'll have to take a look there if you want to hear more about it. So there you go, a rundown of every series released in the U.S. in 1992. Now, as usual, we'll take a look at where these shows can... Oh yeah, almost forgot something. As all of you have no doubt been waiting for, there were two final series that came out this year straight from the pages of some of the most popular comic books of the time. First was the show that put Fox Kids on the map, in my opinion. A second attempt at a particular group of characters after a failed pilot in 1989. That failed pilot was called Pride of the X-Men which was going to be a series based on the 90s hottest superhero team, the X-Men, with particular focus on the newest and youngest member, Kitty Pride, aka Shadowcat. That series was never picked up, but fortunately for us, Fox executive Margaret Loesch, formerly of Marvel Productions, had been a big supporter of the proposed series, and in 1991 became the head of the Fox Children's Network. She used that position to kick off another attempt at an X-Men cartoon, which resulted in one of the 90s greatest animated achievements, X-Men, the animated series. This is one of those shows that you either watch back then, have watched since, or have no intention of watching, which I can't imagine being the case for any of this video's viewers. It was easily one of the best shows of the year, if not the entire decade, crammed full of characters and storylines from the comics with a persistent through story and several darker, mature themes throughout. You don't even have to look further than Morph sacrificing himself to save Wolverine in the first episode to know what you were in for. I can't say enough about how great the show was. Well, except maybe the last season that had all the corner cutting, but it's absolutely one that belongs in the list of best of the decade. Hell, it's almost as good as this year's, again, if not this decade's, crowning achievement, Batman the Animated Series. Do you want a show with even darker, more mature themes? This is it. Do you want a show that redefines how shadow and light can be used to produce atmosphere and animation? This is it. Do you want to listen to some of the best voice acting to ever appear in a cartoon? This is it. Bruce Timm and Paul Dini took one of the longest-running, best-known comic characters in history and redefined him for a whole new generation. They created a hero that was completely human, capable of failure and self-doubt, and existing in a world incredibly representative of our own, populated by evil humans driven by human motivations rather than an unending stream of over-the-top villains. The villains that did appear, though, were grounded and realistic too, for the most part, focusing on grassroots schemes and keeping Batman firmly planted in the night-shrouded streets of Gotham. What an amazing series. If you haven't seen it, and you have even a passing interest in either Batman mythology or animation history, fix that. Immediately. Alright, so where was I? 
Oh yeah, where can you watch these shows as of August 2023? As is happening way too often in these videos, you can't with a lot of them. A list that has never gotten an official DVD or streaming release includes Capital Critters, Fish Police, The Plucky Duck Show, though each segment from that can be watched as part of Tiny Toons, Raw Tunage, The Addams Family, The Adventures of T-Rex, Saban's Gulliver's Travels, Stunt Dogs, Super Dave, Daredevil for Hire, Twinkle the Dream Being, Wild West Cowboys of Moo Mesa, Eek the Cat, Mickey's Mouse Tracks, and Donald's Quack Attack, which are both compilations of old Disney tunes which can be watched in various forms all over the place. As usual, take a look here on YouTube or around the internet for any of these. As for streaming, Fievel's American Tales can be watched on Peacock, My Little Pony Tales and King Arthur and the Knights of Justice are on Pluto TV, Conan the Adventurer and Dog City can be found on Tubi, and Goof Troop, The Little Mermaid, and X-Men the Animated Series can all be streamed on Disney+. Batman the Animated Series can also be purchased on pretty much any streaming service that sells content. Finally, if you want to own any of these on DVD for yourself, you can pick up Goof Troop, Conan the Adventurer, Shelley Duvall's Bedtime Stories, Batman the Animated Series, and X-Men the Animated Series. And that's that. All of the series and programming blocks that premiered in the U.S. in 1992. It may have been a later year in volume, but you can't complain about the quality of the content. And talk about pushing Fox Kids to the head of the cartoon pack? This is the year that did it, with Batman and the X-Men series that would have been crowning jewels for any network by themselves both showing up there. There were also a couple of other series from the year that were awesome to me in their own right. But what do you guys think of the lineup? Share your thoughts down in the comments. Like and subscribe if you haven't already, and keep the channel moving forward. Thanks for watching. Stay tuned and stay tuned, as in cartoons. Later.